The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Hold me closer in. It's getting dark. <coughs> Tell Annie M to little yell her out. <coughs> Tell Tony Tim I won't be coming home this Christmas. <coughs> Tell Scarlet I do give a damn. <coughs> Pardon me. <laughs> previous episodes, I've used Academy Award wins and nominations as proof of artistic value, from actors to songs to movies. Whether or not these selections were deserving of the awards is always up for debate, but what shouldn't be questioned is that the Academy Awards and others are politically driven. They're politically driven not in the sense that they affect the laws and policies of the United States or the world but in the sense that Hollywood functions as its own culture and business. Some movies are made simply to generate awards and accolades because that translates into profit for the studio. Throughout the decades, Hollywood has become predictable in what kinds of movies will generate the most Oscar buzz. On this episode of ARC, I'm going to go over how one man changed the way films are nominated and what different types of movies get praise from the Academy voting members. Later on, I'm going to give my review and commentary on one such movie, Dallas Buyers Club. This is ARC. God bless television. To the movies. To good movies. To every possible kind. I am the danger. I am the one who knocks. Is that a hair gel? <coughs> Loud noises! There's no crying in baseball! That's not even a word! Game over, man. Game over. I'll be back. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! These are their stories. From now on, I order you watch more television than ever before. Welcome, one and all, to an all-new episode of Arts Review and Commentary. I'm your host, Omar Latiri, and thanks again for listening. This week's episode is brought to you by ArtsReviewAndCommentary.com's Amazon page. Clicking on the Amazon button at ArtsReviewAndCommentary.com helps this show out and the Realm Network, all at the touch of a button. Also... Stay tuned in the coming weeks for my Oscar Picks show, where my buddy Jordan Rose of thejordanblog.com will go over our projected winners at the upcoming 86th Academy Awards. And so in the end, as it was in the beginning, there are five nominated films for Best Picture. They are Elizabeth, Allison Owen, Eric Feldner, and Tim Bevan, Producers. Life is Beautiful, Elda Ferry, and John Luigi Braski, producers. Saving Private Ryan, Steven Spielberg, Ian Bryce, Mark Gordon, and Gary Levinson, producers. Shakespeare in Love, David Parfit, Donna Gelati, 
Harvey Weinstein, Edward Zwick, and Mark Norman, producers. The Thin Red Line, Robert Michael Geisler, John Robodeau, and Grant Hill, producers. And the Oscar goes to... In 1998, DreamWorks Studios released the World War II epic Saving Private Ryan. It was violent, gritty, with an exceptionally gory and visceral opening battle scene of D-Day that had never been before depicted as intense in motion picture history. It was nominated for several Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and it was the frontrunner to win. So, which movie took home Best Picture? And the Oscar goes to... Shakespeare in Love. David Carpet, Donna Gelati, Harvey Weinstein, Edward Zwick. Now, did Shakespeare in Love win because it was a better movie? Of course, better or worse is all a matter of opinion, so that's always up for debate. But before you make any judgments, here's a bit of condensed Hollywood history. Just like corporations or political parties, the major Hollywood studios held the most influence when it came to motion picture entertainment. Now, the influence wasn't limited to the production themselves, but also to their marketing, and consequently, the awards that they won. You see, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is a very elite group of members within the motion picture industry, a group that one has to be invited into and not apply for. Like Washington Insiders ruled the Beltway, Hollywood Insiders ruled L.A., and up until the 1990s, the award winners came from big-name studios. Now, did these entries win simply because they were backed by the major studio? Of course not. No one would question that The Godfather deserved its Oscar. But with all those movies out there, some films and performances may not have had a chance to get seen by all of the members of the Academy. After all, who has the time? So, advertising campaigns are present throughout the Los Angeles area during the nomination period. Billboards, print ads, free screeners, all with the header for your consideration pop up all over Hollywood. Now, prior to the 90s, the major studios didn't have to spend that much on ad campaigns for their movies. So what happened in the 90s that changed that? A relatively small company called Miramax, headed by two brothers named Bob and Harvey Weinstein, decided to change the rules. In the beginning of the 90s, Miramax projects were considered arthouse projects with little exposure. And it was Harvey Weinstein who decided that the big studios shouldn't have a monopoly on the votes of the Academy. So, Miramax spent a great deal of money on campaigning for votes to get Miramax's relatively unknown projects more exposure and nominations for Academy Awards. And it worked. Thanks to Harvey Weinstein's campaigns, movies like My Left Foot, Sling Blade, and Pulp Fiction all earned nominations in various categories from the Academy and won some to boot. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. By the mid-90s, Miramax had cemented itself as a production house that the major studios had to contend with for awards. The big studios never budgeted a lot of money for Oscar ad campaigns, and by the time Shakespeare in Love came around, DreamWorks Studios, then only four years old, 
was a relative newcomer to the game, even with big names like Steven Spielberg, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and David Geffen. Weinstein's formula worked so well that in 2000, the five movies nominated for Best Picture reflected the movies that the studio spent the most energy and money to advertise. Movies like Billy Elliot, The Contender, and Castaway were not nominated, but Miramax's Chocolat was. Think about that. Chocolat, a movie that was basically footloose, but with chocolate instead of dancing, was nominated for Best Picture over a movie like Castaway. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Now, Chocolat didn't win the award for Best Picture. That went to DreamWorks' Gladiator, another questionable entry for Best Picture, in my opinion. But there's more to it than that. Chocolat ended up earning almost twice as much money at the box office with the nomination than it would have without it. When you realize that all you need is a nomination to double your earnings, who wouldn't spend money on an ad campaign for an Academy Award nomination? Is it any wonder that the Best Picture category has grown from five entries to nine? Film buffs are now putting down money to go see a movie they otherwise might not have seen simply because the movie or a performance within that movie now has an Oscar nomination. It's a fantastic strategy. Release a movie at the end of the calendar year in one city, send free screeners to Academy of Voters, get nominated, and by the time the movie hits wide release, people will be clamoring to see the film regardless of whether or not it's actually worthy of the nomination. And even if the public doesn't get to see it in the theaters, there's always home video to make more money. Now you will only be risking your lives, whilst I will be risking an almost certain Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor. When we come back, one of this year's Academy Award nominees, Dallas Buyers Club. Stand by for a special news bulletin. Well, okay, it's not really a news bulletin. It's more like a bulletin about the news. A Buzz Burbank news and comment never went away. It just moved, and now it's part of the Realm Network. Some say the best part, but who are you going to believe? Anyway, it's now a free daily download available on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, RSS, and buzzburbank.com. Here's the deal. You give me 10 or 15 minutes a day, and I'll give you my world. I think you'll like it. It's all today's news, only better, thoughtful, digestible, kind of funny, really. And I include stories that are interesting to you and me. I'll bet I can make you laugh. Sometimes I'll make you cry. Sometimes I'll make you angry, and sometimes I'll make you proud. It's stories about us. It's stories for us. You may just give up on other news. At the very least, I hope you'll listen and spread the word. Buzz Burbank News and Comment at buzzburbank.com. Mr. Woodruff, you've tested positive for HIV. Have you ever used intravenous drugs? Have you ever engaged in homosexual conduct? Homo, homo. Did you say homo? You made a mistake. That ain't me. Mr. Woodruff, we estimate you have 30 days left. Newsflash, y'all. Ain't nothing out there can kill Ron Woodruff in 30 days. Dallas Buyers Club, a movie featuring Matthew McConaughey as Ron Woodruff, a real-life guy who was diagnosed with AIDS in the mid-80s and ran an organization to sell non-FDA-approved drugs from Mexico to AIDS patients. 
Woodruff overcomes his homophobia and befriends a transgendered woman named Rayon, played by Jared Leto, who won the Golden Globe for his performance. In a previous episode, I had talked about a trope called Oscar bait. It's a movie or performance that is made simply to get nominated for an award. Oh, sure, every now and then there are exceptions. But when you look at the majority of the films or actors that receive nominations and wins, you'll see a pattern. The Academy gives awards to movies with a political message. They give awards to actors who portray suffering from a terminal disease or physical or mental disability. They prefer period pieces featuring elaborate costumes of the area, not fantasy or science fiction. So, let's go down the checklist to see how Dallas Buyers Club fits in. Political message? Check. The movie showcases how the pharmaceutical company that manufactured AZT manipulated the FDA into withholding AZT's more dangerous side effects. Actors who were suffering from a disease? Check. Matthew McConaughey lost 50 pounds to play an AIDS victim, and Jared Leto dropped 30 pounds and dressed in drag to play a transgender drug addict with AIDS. Period piece? Check. Movie takes place in the homophobic heyday of Reagan-era Texas. Does this mean the movie is any good? Again, good and bad is all a matter of opinion, but here's mine. This movie is okay. It's certainly not bad. The performances are very good, with Jared Leto doing a phenomenal job. What you got? Full house. Jacks over threes. Now I figured you for queens. Matthew McConaughey's performance is mature and charismatic, and he certainly deserves to be nominated. But, in my opinion, he did not deserve his Golden Globe win. Not against a performance like Chiwetel Ejiofor's in 12 Years a Slave. The movie's message is so preachy about its distrust of the FDA and its practices of 30 years ago that a character is allowed to shoot up heroin rather than eat processed deli meat approved by the FDA. It's this kind of preachiness that toes the line of becoming dangerous to audiences who get their health advice from a Hollywood movie. Two out of five stars for Dallas Buyers Club. It's a movie that's nominated for an Oscar, but one that was much less entertaining and interesting to watch than Saving Mr. Banks, Catching Fire, and Iron Man 3. That's it for this episode of ARC. Stay tuned for my Oscar Picks episode of ARC, and don't forget to visit artsreviewandcommentary.com for access to all of my movie reviews and ratings through the years, as well as Amazon shopping, links to all of the great shows on the Realm Network, and more. Like ARC on Facebook at facebook.com slash ARCreviews, follow the show on Twitter at ARCreviews, and you can email me at artsreviewandcommentary at gmail.com. My name is Omar Ladiri, and this is Ark. The preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network.
What does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? What country are you from? What? what? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English in what? What? English, mother do you speak it? Yes. Then you know what I'm saying. Yes. Describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? Say what again. Say what again. I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. He's black. Go on. He's bald. Does he look like a bitch? What? Does he look like a bitch? No! Then why you try to him like a bitch, Brett? I did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did, Brett. You tried to no. And my son no. Wallace don't like to be by anybody except Mrs. Wallace. You read the Bible, Brett? Yes. Well, there's this passage I got memorized. Sort of fits this occasion. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. <laughs>